Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. So I'm just like vaguely a shitty person. Is that what you're telling me, doctor? (laughs) Just constructing repeatedly scenarios that kind of validated this deep internal thing that I had. I kind of wanted things to go bad. I was kept constructing my own downfall. The psych ward is the ultimate pause button. That's like a good instinct. It's when you look at death in the face and you're like, oh, that's scary. It's like, that's your body making sure that you don't fucking do that. this little hole inside of me that I have to keep kind of addressing or else it grows and grows and it starts to like suck things into its orbit. Every time I look at a BPD person that's like being crazy or whatever, you know, I might think feel superior for one second. It's like, always remember, like you're just a few bad days away from being precisely like that. As long as people like me, I've kind of gotten tricked. And then as soon as they find out who I am, uh, they'll realize that I'm a horrible person. And so it's constantly waiting for this validation that I actually am as horrible as I secretly somehow think I am. It's like always drawing back to this one internal thing, which is just like this fear that someone's going to find out. 24-year-old, award-nominated video essayist CJVX has blown up on YouTube in just one year with over 200,000 subscribers and counting. Apart from his work on YouTube, CJ is also a musical force to be reckoned with, transmuting his explosive emotions into songs that explore his battle with his own mind. On this episode of the podcast, CJ and I sat down to talk about his BPD diagnosis, how he's overcome many of the beliefs and behaviors that kept him stuck in a hell of his own making, how DBT therapy saved his life, and how he continues to use those skills to help manage his day-to-day life as a self-employed creative carving his own unique path. After this interview is over, I just know you're going to want to check out CJ's work on YouTube as well as his music. So as usual, I'll be linking to all that good stuff in the show notes. All right, so I'm going to roll that intro. And after that, we're going to jump straight into my interview with the incredible CJ VX. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. You have entered back from the borderline, where we walk willingly into the darkness within our minds and return home to ourselves transformed. I'm your host, Molly. I spent most of my life numbing the pain and emptiness inside me, unaware that my self-sabotaging behaviors and thoughts were destroying my ability to connect with myself and other people. 
One day, I decided I was sick enough of my own bullshit to hear life calling, telling me it was time for a change, and I decided to answer that call. On this podcast, we'll learn that when we see ourselves as the hero of our own journey, it gives us the best chance at finding our inner truth and integrity. Together, we'll learn to hold complex feelings, expand our consciousness and self-awareness while making meaning of our suffering. Are you ready to find out who you are underneath the weight of everything that's been keeping you stuck? If the answer is yes, follow me down the rabbit hole of psychological and spiritual growth. I'm so glad you're here. And with that, let's dive straight in to the episode. So everyone, welcome back to the podcast. We have a very special guest. I will let you provide an introduction to the listeners. I'm CJ the X. I'm a musician and the video essayist on YouTube. If you happen to know what a video essay is, uh, I just research things and I talk about it and I've cultivated an audience this past year. And um, yeah, I was charmed by your, uh, when you reached out to me to be on the podcast that you kind of opened up talking about the music rather than the YouTube thing, which is bigger right now. But uh, the music is the one where it's very explicit about BPD more often than the videos at least are. So for the listeners, how I actually came across your YouTube content first. And obviously, probably like most people, I came across your Bo Burnham uh, video essay. And then I just like went down the rabbit hole and listened to a bunch of your other stuff. What I love about what you're doing is like, for me growing up, I was always told that I was too much, too dramatic, too, too loud, too emotional. And it seems like for you, I'm not sure if you can relate to that. You're nodding, but like, I wonder if (laughs) hard, yes. Um, but like, it seems like you have made like these things, like being a big personality, um, your superpower, which I really, really love. What was it like for you growing up and what kind of kid were you? That has such a sad answer to it because I, at the start of my life going through like uh, childhood, I was like a very out, wildly outgoing, like imaginative, um, insanely bright, smiley force in the universe. Like just this little streak of heaven running about in the lawn. And then at like the age of 14, it all started kicking in. And then I just shut up for like a, you know, six years or something like it, like it just, mm-hmm. um, I, my personality took like a really, really harsh, um, turn from like that kind of imaginative, joyful exuberance when it kind of became less and less socially acceptable, maybe to kind of be lost in your imagination all the time and to be like, I don't know, wild and childish and joyful. So it's like high school came and it's like, suddenly I'm having to like live kind of life, like actually, you know what I mean? Like people kind of come to expect semblances of like maturity and cooperation with us and stuff like that. You can't just run off on your own, like for the whole day. Um, yeah. And then and especially kind of forcing you into a structure, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, it just made me in retrospect, talking to my mom about it. It's like when I was young, I, I was, although it was like this very like charmed um, sprite like existence. It was also, I was completely inside of like a fictional universe in my imagination all the time. So it's mm-hmm. also, it's like there was an escapism going on. And then when that kind of ended, I didn't like actually being inside of my own head, you know? And then, and you are right though, that like when it comes to art, it can be useful to transmute these things that are like weaknesses or extremities into like something to be wondered at. You know what I mean? Like um, spectacle is where those things belong. I ended up saying BPD gang all the time because I was like, it's, I want us to have that because sometimes people with BPD yeah. don't have enough things to be proud of. God, <laughs> you know I mean? Isn't that the fucking truth? One of the first things that I came across when I like Googled BPD, it was like, can borderlines feel love? And I was like, wow, this is fucking dark. Like that was yeah. one of the most Googled phrases. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. When I got that and I was looking at the the specs. I don't know why that's what came to mind, but I was looking at my specs after specs. I got like diagnosed and I was like, so what does this mean? What am I going to be grappling with? And I'm looking at the definition for it. It's like, so I'm just like vaguely a shitty person. Is that what yeah. you're telling me, doctor? <laughs> that's the initial reaction. A lot of people like a diagnosed, they go like, oh, so I suck. And that's my diagnosis. Are you formally diagnosed with borderline personality disorder? Yeah. After a hospitalization at the age of 18, um, okay. I, I, they ended me up with just, I have a borderline personality disorder as a diagnosis. And so mm-hmm. I have a therapist ongoing and my doctor knows, and that's 
what we have used and DBT saved my life, like an inpatient program um, or outpatient. I got those wrong. What led to you having to check yourself into that, to like an inpatient treatment? So it was, um, I, yeah, at, at 18, um, after some wonderful destructive events of my own construction, uh, I, I, so I tried to take my life and then, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't, I ended up getting kind of talked off it, like off the phone. I, I self-harmed myself into quite the sculpture. And then I went and tried mm-hmm. to off myself by some train tracks. And I was on the phone with my friend because it turns out it's really scary when a train's coming at you and you're like, ah, wait, maybe no. And then, uh, so I was on the <laughs> phone with my friend and, and then eventually it kind of talked me back into my house. But I guess people kind of, like everyone in my life was kind of noticing everything was going really haywire, like way more than normal. Um, yeah. And so they kind of ricocheted off and end up calling my mom and she flew into the country, showed up the next day and was like, listen, are you going to do this again? And I was like, yeah. So she's like, okay, well, I'm going to put you in the hospital then. Like what else is there to do now? You know, yeah. I t- tried treatment. Um, I'm just kind of tend to be high functioning. So, you know, it's a frustrating experience sometimes where it's like you go in for treatment, you're high functioning for like the interview. And then they're like, okay, well, we'll do this. And I'm like, I know that's not enough. But also I can't like convince you like until it's too late. And then it was. And then I was in a psych ward for like a a week and a half or so. um, Mm. Just just completely uh, locked up, not allowed to do stuff. And um, yeah, it was really important. And that was that was important to get like the full reset, the severity of the situation to sink in the overwhelming knowledge. It's like you can't continue like this or your life. It will just keep coming back here, you know? Yeah. Um, And then I wasn't really like left alone for like a few months following that my um, my mom just like took me on business trips or whatever. She just like kept make sure I was with family and stuff like that. Just, but it was just a big, like just p- pause button on your whole life. You know what I mean? Cause like when that happens, like your employer gets contacted and you're like, they're in a psych ward and they're like, Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Everyone, all my friends too. Like for me too, like getting off the damn phone, you know what I mean? Even that, like just for a week and a half, like, and having nothing else to do, but sit with yourself and kind of I don't know, really contemplate like where you're at and what you're doing. The psych ward is the ultimate pause button. I got to a part point in my life of like serious suicidal ideation, like, but I didn't do anything, you know, like I, I didn't get to the point where I was like planning of what I would do because I felt the same thing that you describe of the train tracks where I was like, I don't even, I'm too terrified to even do it, but yeah, I don't yeah. want to live. You know and what that, I mean? And that's a, by the way, that's like a good instinct. That's normal <laughs> is when you look at death in the face and you're like, oh, that's scary. It's like, that's your body yeah. making sure that you don't fucking do that. <laughs> yes. When you were in the hospital, at what point did the BPD diagnosis come into play? It's complicated because I didn't have like an awesome time in the psych ward. I didn't really get all of the help I needed. Um, It was Mm -hmm. like just a great pause button, like urgent, you know, and then there was a psychiatrist and he was good a lot of time, but not all the time, you know, like, and you can't expect every single psychiatrist on the planet to just be nailing it like person after person, you know what I mean? even just in personality compatibility. It was just the, they suggested that diagnosis after I was there for a little while. We had a lot of conversations and therapy sessions and group sessions and um, kind of were tracking like together all the different things that had been misdiagnosed or mistreated or misunderstood. You know what I mean? It's like depression doesn't quite fit. Like the anxiety doesn't quite fit. It's a, mm-hmm. um, it's just, it's a scattered uh web that I like created for myself. That was me bouncing from like self-harm to like mega confidence, to mega creativity, to self-hatred, to anxiety, to deep sadness, to mm-hmm. substance abuse, to unstable relationships from like joyous relationships, from being like the best person in the world and hurting people and just constructing repeatedly scenarios that kind of validated this deep internal thing that I had where it's like, I kind of wanted things to go bad. I kind of wanted this uh, you know what I mean? It kind of seemed like I was kept constructing my own downfall. Like a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or like pushing, like with my relationships, kind of like testing, like trying to yeah. get them to admit to me or save me. It's like crisis save, savior, crisis savior, you know, I'm just saying that's just, just BPD. That's when you look at that and yeah. it's like, well, that's, I know how to treat that. And it's with intensive DBT and get your, get shit moving. <laughs> I saw a meme a while ago, like on the BPD subreddit, where it said like the BPD process is like seat chaos, life falls apart, go back into like your hole again, then get bored, seek chaos <laughs> again, and like repeat. Uh-huh. And does that resonate for you? It's like that cycle. It does. The biggest thing was 
when you don't see it happening, when that's just like uh, on yeah. top, it's like, you're just this conscious being and you're like moment to moment, just doing your best. And I'm like, you know what I mean? And you're like, why does my life keep falling apart? Until yeah. you have someone kind of with the uh, cognition that can look at all of it and then be like, you see, this is something that's, it's an engine chugging underneath your consciousness and it keeps doing this thing. And it feels like it's the universe. I feel like God hates me and everyone's not nice to me. And like, why can't I do anything right? And the truth is it's like, you just, you have to, interrupt this engine that's chugging underneath your brain or you just got to keep constructing these situations. It's so true. Looking back now, I can see how self-destructive I was, but if you would have asked me back then, I was just like doing the best I could. And I just had a psychologist on my podcast this last week, and he was just talking about the unconscious, right? And basically how so often these things are playing out behind the scenes and we have no idea that we are projecting all this childhood shit onto uh, the other people in our lives. For you, what do you think like are the unconscious patterns that you found yourself kind of like repeating over and over? What are some of the things that you saw that you were doing most often in relationships, for example, to kind of like push people away and bring them back? Oh God, I'm so ashamed of how I behaved in relationships before oh, I got ditto, ditto. intensive therapy, but it was, oh God. <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> to throw going, you into like a flashback. <laughs> no, it's totally okay. Um, the unconscious operations, I think it's like a constant, it, it's like obviously, but like a constant fear of abandonment, like a constant thought that, uh, yeah, probably the most pervasive, like to this day that it's like, um, this little hole inside of me that I have to keep kind of addressing or else it grows and grows and it starts to like suck things into its orbit is this thought mm-hmm. that as long as people like me, I've kind of got them tricked. And then as soon as they find out who I am, uh, they'll realize that I'm a horrible person. And so it's constantly mm-hmm. waiting for this validation that I actually am as horrible as I secretly somehow think I am. So any hint that that is the case from people, I just completely go haywire psychologically. And then when things aren't that way, when things are fine, then I think that um, it's like a ruse and I'm so anxious about when it's all going to fall apart or it's fake or um, I'm manipulating someone or uh and so that how that has resulted for me like as a performer to some degree is like and this would often manifest as like kind of paranoid delusions um because that's something that I used to deal with a lot more than I do now but this thought that like I was kind of put on like earth with this like as a curse or like a glitch like a flaw in the system somehow and I need to do something really amazing to make it right that I am alive and it's shocking how many things like when you look at like why did I behave this way why did I lose my temper why did I get sad why did I withdraw why was I mean why uh, was I desperate like why was I scared it's like always drawing back to this one internal thing which is just like this fear that someone's gonna find out the way you describe that is so hitting home for me and it's really profound the just kind of feeling like there's like a hole that that you're constantly trying to fill and no matter what you're filling it the wrong way and so then it's just like and also you describing the like intense shame that comes with it because the thing that i found that's so misunderstood about people with bpd it's as if we're consciously manipulative consciously attention sinking consciously hurting other people not at all those are panic reactions right exactly exactly these are things that we do and what's not seen about people with ppd is what you're describing which is the intense shame and self-hatred that comes after this we are often seen as people that have like no empathy or but it's like that couldn't be further from the truth it's like i believe half of my life has been me like caught in like cringe spirals of like, oh my God, I did that and hating myself. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's this inab- it's like living at the front of your face and like having this inability to like remember, reach back. Like when, like uh, when, when there's some sort of stimulus passing through positive or negative, it's just like inability to reach back and like find like right me and then hold on to that. So you don't go flying. It's like, you don't have something back there. So it's just everything that happens, you go flying. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. That's, that is also a really, really good way of describing it. What would you say are the symptoms of BPD that you've struggled with the most? I think a lack of distress tolerance, like I just kind of mm-hmm. described, is probably the most mm-hmm. brutal thing. That's one of something that completely revolutionized things for me when I was doing DBT was there was a, the whole area of study that's just um, when things are bad 
And then I'm like expecting it's like, okay, so how do I not make things bad or how do I make things better? And it's just like, just don't make them worse. Like a whole library of thought. That's just like, don't fuck it up more when things are already bad. And I was like, oh my God, I need that. And I didn't realize that I was allowed to go for that. I thought that I was just failing at fixing things when the truth is it's like, can you manage to not make it worse? And I was like, I can try. And it turns out you can do that. And if you do that, your life is infinitely better because you're not doing that all the time. <laughs> so much better. Cause that's the thing I think we realize is like same thing with me and DBT skills, like game changer, where it's going back to what I said before people with BPD, it's just, we didn't learn these skills. So it's like, once you yeah. start learning them, you realize like, no matter what, as a human being, you're never going to be 100% happy all the time. You're going to always realize like we're all going to die. And that's a fucking terrifying concept to struggle with. And so you have all these existential thoughts like that's all normal. But it's like there are ways that we can suffer less. (laughs) And we were never taught these skills growing up. And so it's like when you start learning these skills in DBT, it's exactly what you're saying where it's like, okay, my existence on this earth, which is already painful, like the collective of everyone else doesn't have to be as painful as I've been making it. It is. It's a lot simpler than you think it is. The mm-hmm. And I think that's what the skills kind of program into you is like when I when someone like hurts your feelings and you're like, this is the end of the world and they hate me and you go like six steps down. And it's like, well, the the more simple part is like that person said something and my feelings are hurt and that's the end of it really. And then like, what to do next. And then you look up in your little Bible that is your dialectical behavioral therapy <laughs> skills book. What When your feelings are hurt, you write down what, 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 what happened and what hurt your feelings and why that hurt your feelings. And like, um, do you care what this person says? Like, are you reading too much into what this person says? Are you mind reading? Like, what are you going to do now? Sit here and wallow? Or are you going to radically accept? And then are you going to make yourself a fucking sandwich? And like, you'd be shocked if you ate a sandwich, how much less that's going to hurt. And it's this kind of like, breaking down of like what feels like cosmic weight into just the small building blocks of being a person, you know? Oh, that's really good. And you know, you even say making a sandwich. I mean, not to simplify something, but seriously, the amount of bad decisions I've made when I'm hungry and it's like a DBT skill. I feel my DBT therapist always said like, assess your vulnerabilities. If I am like hungry, tired, like haven't moved my body in some way, you know, like I am infinitely more capable of making a a bad situation 10 times worse. Yeah. (laughs) And that's what you get out of behavioral chain analyses as well. Right. It's like when you have to do the painstaking uh, catalog of everything that could have potentially influenced how you perform this behavior or something that you didn't want to do. And when you, and like to have, them really break it down than me having to look back at like when something happened like yesterday and all I could think about is the weight and like, how could I have done this or how could this have happened? And then you have to go on a piece of paper and you look at the past five days of like the most minuscule. like, did you, for me, if I don't listen to music um, in the course of a day, and sometimes I kind of forget to, if I end up just on YouTube videos or anything else instead, um, if I don't listen to music, my, I do, I'm not as well. And Mm. it's something I've realized, especially on vacations with families and loved ones and stuff like that is if I'm somewhere with a, one, like a few other people for an extended period of time, if I'm not able to take time to go like do the thing that makes me feel like I've kind of exercised like my own sense of self by sitting there and listening to music, it's an antisocial activity. But if I don't take like time to ensure that it occurs, then over time, my patience and my kindness for the people around me wears out. And that's no game. Like I would think, oh, isn't that indulgent or immature of me or like stupid and like, I'm just mean. It's like, no, you just have to do that. It's really simple. But like, as long as you do that. And then when you look at every time that something's going wrong, it's like, how many of those little things that you know you have to do to feel like yourself did you not do for how many days up to this thing happening, right? Realizing how your will really erodes over time and having to accept that in an encompassing way instead of considering it a force of God that you can't control. Oh my God. Yes. It's so true. My therapist one time said to me like, well, what are your needs, Molly? And I was like dead faced, like blank. And I was like, I, uh, I don't know. And she's like, that's a problem. Like, why do you not know what your needs are? And it's so important for me to have me time. And if I don't have that, go on a walk or just like have a time to read a book, like just get away from people it's just like you said, I can feel myself becoming more and more and more like ready to like blow. Yeah. And 
we often think that like we're being self-indulgent by doing that when in reality it's like the thing of like filling your own emotional bucket is such a thing and yeah. we don't talk about that enough yeah i especially with like favorite personage when uh someone's now the source of all of your joy and pain it's like and you want to just i definitely do like when i really like get consumed by someone i just want to keep holding myself to that uh to that grindstone and then it's like but watching all like the um rubber on my tires just erode and realizing it's like as much as i just want to be around you it's like i'm also like growing more like resentful and angry it's like why am i feeling so like possessive like why are these things growing it's like you never took that time to walk away and make sure that you were going to come back and be have the energy and um that you weren't filling yourself so much with them that there's none of you left and you just all of your reactions Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Oh my god, yeah, that's really really good. And this says a perfect segue into the FP thing. Like, I can just tell you when I first started, the amount of requests, I like, do an FP episode, do an FP episode. Like, to you, what is the FP relationship? I really love the F, the favorite personage. <laughs> what is favorite personage to you, CJ? As with a lot of things with BPD, these are just patterns that human beings participate in. Like every symptom of BPD or any mental illness for the most part are just things that everyone experiences. And then a mental illness is when you have a dysregulated relationship with a normal trait of being a human being, right? For people with borderline, I think it's in this kind of mania and intensity and this need to have things like uh, everything feels like an emergency and you need it solved by your metaphysical firefighter every time. Um, yep. you, it's nice to have one person that you could be obsessed with, that you can pour all of your positive into for my, like my neuroses, it would be like one person where I can try to prove myself to be a good person by treating them so well. And then when it comes down to that moment where it turns out I'm a bad person, they'll have enough pity for me at that point. That's like misconstruing, like just relationship as this kind of transactional thing. That's going to save you. I think that's yes. the thing. And then even when people, I think like, are living at the front of their face and think, no, this is just, I love them so much. I'm like, you have to look underneath what you're doing because you love them, but you're being fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. <that's, laughs> and so what engine's chugging? And it's like, you, you think this person's going to solve something that you can't solve on your own and you're just yes. outsourcing it, right? Outsourcing it. Yeah, it, it really is. It's covering up your deep need to be there for yourself with Mm -hmm. someone else. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you're chronically neglecting yourself and unable to be there for yourself, you literally cannot have a fulfilling relationship. People that are pursuing recovery from BPD, like these are hard things. Like nobody likes to think of themselves as the toxic person. Regardless of if it's your fault or someone else's fault, right? Yes. It's definitely, you're not gaining anything by just like yelling up at the top of the hole you fell in. Just, you know, it's like you got to do something and no one can get you out because you keep dragging them in when they try. I love like my friends with BPD and the people. And every time, like, and when I speak to them and I hear about their like emotions and what they've struggled with and stuff like that, regardless of the scale of intensity, I know it's like my people. And I know that like every time I look at a BPD person that's like being crazy or whatever, you know, I might, think feel superior for one second it's like always remember like you're just a few a a few bad days (laughs) away from being precisely like that so it's like remember it's like always but but I do see in like the people that are a little earlier and they're like BPD recovery or just at a different place with it um sometimes they're straight up just like putting up like bad karma into the universe and you can tell like you could smell it when they're like you know my last three partners were all fucking crazy and abusive and pieces of shit but my new boyfriend is the best person i've ever met in my entire life i'm like i don't believe you (laughs) yeah because i know the kind of i know the feelings that you're having and i know like the inescapable pain of those feelings of like when and yeah how difficult it is and how and this is a weird topic to go on but in this particular but it's not weird because we're talking bpd so like what the, what the hell but yeah. on <laughs> our current climate where people are so 
um, really hypersensitive about the word abuse or these words like toxicity. Um, And then it's like, once that gets thrown around, then it's like this blight that cannot be recovered from. And that's just like a modern like celebrity discourse thing. But in the context of interpersonal relationships, abuse is something everyone's capable of that everyone participates in like a 3% of like every day. You know what I mean? Like just by nature of being a person, you know what I mean? And when you're so afraid of that stamp of um, disapproval that you can't actually like go outside of yourself and look at it and kind of accept that, even if that is something you have done and then do whatever the next thing is. It's the thing that we kind of miss in our like pop culture discourse that we have in DBT group therapy rooms. You know what I mean? It seems like society has BPD. It's like, there's like, everybody is, <laughs> I mean, right. Like, like everyone's splitting like but right t- Twitter, now, Twitter definitely has BPD. It seems pretty normal to not have any critical thinking skills. There's no middle of the bell curve. There's no gray area. My mantra now is like, am I seeing both sides of this? And it's hard in our society now to keep yourself in like a non-splitting, non-all or nothing thinking. I see you someone as like a very deep critical thinker. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, well, I learned about dialectics. It's funny because um, uh, dialectics is just like in philosophy, like ground zero of it. It's just like the investigation of thought. And then it turns into like an abstract idea of um, trying to grasp like two opposing ends of phenomena to try to like understand truth as a result of like, it gets very jargony, but I learned yeah. it in DBT. I learned it in therapy where there's like dialectics is when like that one extreme that you're thinking might be true. And another extreme might also be true. And if you could sit yes. there accepting both, you might be able to function better than if you always need to subscribe to one and you can't bear to imagine the other. Um, and that's where I learned it there. But then now on the YouTube channel, I'm spiraling into like art and philosophy and those things kind of inevitably bleed into politics, even though that's not like the place I try to go too often. Cause I don't want to get stuck there, you know? Um, yeah. But dialectics just keep coming up for me and it keeps being You just true. did a video that was like the dialectics of Rick and Morty, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, precisely. Well, there's a little bit of a like metatextual narrative throughout the videos. Don't I, I wouldn't let anyone else catch me say this publicly because I don't want people to be like looking for clues or whatever, but each <laughs> thing kind of leads to the next. And I'm trying to build like a set of tools with which to kind of talk about art and like God and ideas and, you know, everything. Like I'm, I'm trying to fix the universe, just one YouTube video at a time. If I can get more people thinking dialectically and give more people like the tools to discuss complicated things or texts or to express themselves with an amount of like specificity and humility simultaneously, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, it's a tall order. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm an ambitious son of a bitch. So <laughs> I'm 24 and that's kind of when I started doing this. Uh, Did you wait. just start posting on YouTube this year? Yeah. January 16th, a year ago. So like wow. a year about, about this month is when it started. For just been doing this for a relatively short period of time, you've got like, how many subscribers do you have now, give or take? It went, it went zero to 200,000 in a year. I mean, that's pretty profound. And the quality of content you're putting out, the fact that there's clearly a lot of people that want to hear what you have to say, it says something about like what, what you're trying to do, you know? Well, I think that, it's really that means admirable. a lot. And that's very sweet of you. I think maybe more pertinently though, it might speak to like how starved people are for ideas like this, because yes. you say it's like people that don't have the opportunity to go to school for stuff like this. You can't go to school for stuff like this. You, no. I didn't get like di- dialectal behavioral therapy is a uh, systemically an, an, a, of it's a systemic way of teaching someone how to be a person, right? How Should to they be not a teach DBT person. in school? That's what I was getting at. It's insane yes. that they don't because they yes. teach you like fucking calculus. And at no point do they treat you like how to treat your friends. Emotion regulation, distress tolerance, right? Like yes. just mindfulness. Like it's unbelievable we don't learn these things in school. So, so true. Sorry, I'm just pulling up the thing and looking at it. It's funny because it is, I guess it is bleeding through here. The, um, like that aspiration to kind of talk in terms of like dialectics and kind of mind expansion and making it like not easy and not just sitting around and validating. It's harder to do that when you don't have a sense of trust that also like people from all different like walks of life are relatively safe. You know what I mean? And that environment, I just want people to know why they think what they think. And I don't want them to change what they think. It's just, if you should know why. I feel like I can relate to you because for me in making my podcast, we're doing very two different things, but 
my like growth journey into the podcast. Like I'm doing this just as much as I'm doing it for other people. Like I'm doing it for myself because it's like healing myself. And I think, and that's something that I see in your content too. I feel like you would be doing this even if you weren't posting it. You're on a mission to heal yourself through what you're doing. It's true. I'm trying to work up from art and critical art analysis through philosophy. These are familiar territories for me where I've gone like a million times before, but it started to branch out into like research and it's starting to branch out into like economics and um, politics and social media. And I'm hoping that by the end of this thing, like I have a, I kind of know what I really think, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And it's just broadening. So I'm finding it to be, it's funny with creating something like you're, I, I try to advise young artists that are worrying about their voice or like the meaning of the larger canon of what they've made that are, have like an anxiety, but trying to string it all together. I'm like, you don't have to fucking worry about that because if yes. you just start making things, you're going to look back and realize that you've been in all of it. Like there's emergent meaning. You literally can't help, but have your body of work say something about you. If you're like Bowie, then what it says about you is you change your mind all the time. You know what I mean? And then that's yeah. still, it still comes out, whatever it is. So it's weird to look back and slowly realize what is happening. Cause I didn't even really think about that until, well, you just said that to me about myself, but then my brother pointed out to me mm. uh, that this is also kind of, I have a lot of anxiety about having an audience for like some past experiences of like being perceived and, mm. you know what I mean? Disappointing people and stuff like that. And like, so this is yeah. also for me, it's been like what I'm doing healing for myself emotionally is kind of yeah. reconstructing my relationship with an audience and with my ambition and being a performer and gaining, you know what I mean? What is your experience been with like emotional boundaries and like a, uh, having an audience and like, how have you managed that? And how has that impacted you as someone with BPD? Yeah. The, the string of people talking about you isn't good for anybody. Um, The, you watch the Bo Burnham videos. So, you know, like uh, the also just social media as an idea and flattening everyone next to everyone and making this eternal addictive uh, like trough for uh, just indulging and performing and indulging, performing and judging. And, you know, it's not good for anyone. It's not good for kids and it's not great for someone with BPD. I mean, I don't post on Instagram or Twitter or anything anymore. Uh, mm. Not really. I, I, someone else runs it for me. If I want to tweet or post something, I send it to them. But uh, it's because I, I can't deal with it. I Because it just exasperates the feeling that you know, kids are already growing up with when you're on social media, where you can go from one app and read some crap about yourself, post some crap, see what people are talking about you, go to the next app and do the same thing. So you have yeah. more when there's thousands of people. And I can go to my YouTube comments, check those, Patreon, oh check what God. people are saying, Instagram, check the DMs, Instagram, like Google myself, there's something there, you know, and go on yeah. Tumblr, look at myself, it's something there, Reddit, something there. It's like, you could go forever and it just makes you feel like shit. And it's, it doesn't provide a sense of self at all, that kind of no. thing. It's kind of cool to see, but it doesn't provide a sense of self. And I am hyper aware, I think perhaps more than most getting into this, that even though this first year has been awesome, like everyone has been really amazing about what I do and that people are very, very congratulatory and celebratory and thoughtful. Um, and I like it. Like I like having fans, but uh, I'm just really aware that attachment to that means that when that goes way downhill, then that's going to hurt way more and that you have to keep oh, yeah. that emotional distance, which means not indulging the positive really that and that's something i learned mm. through dbt therapy is like to remember that you know emotion regulation is when you need to curb the extremity of emotion back just in trying to do that and then i remember uh it was really pivotal for me when they told me though that that includes dysregulated love dysregulated joy that like you can't when you're finding yourself like launching into these blissful states and you let yourself get just dragged along with that without being able to think about that or decide how you want to use that or engage with that or know that that's not me. It's passing through me. If you hop on that train, you're on the train for the next wave too. Yes. It's so fucking true. It's like, you're so much better if you're just in a kind of like calm and present state. Right. It's, and it's just so hard as people who are really emotional people, not to like get, let those emotional kind of like chords kind of like yank you in the direction. It's so hard to stay in the middle on that mark though, that it's not, mm. not feeling those things and you no. can't change how you feel. It's just like, 
where you identify, where's your sense of self, like where are you mm-hmm. putting your attention, right? And if you're just like getting yanked away by every harsh dip and high peak, then you're not keeping a hold of yourself. You know what I mean? You're getting lost in the feeling again and again. That's actually, that's a really good distinction to make. Say for instance, you're feeling really depressed. Do you ever get those moments? And obviously I'm sure you do. How, what would be like your coping skills now and like the tools in your BPD toolbox that like, how do you deal? I wish that I had been like more on top of my shit the last two weeks so I can tell you, but you know, it's been, I don't know. Just, and I don't like, this is another thing about the performance and the relationship with the audience. I don't be out here like on social media, like p- broadcasting when I'm doing well and when I'm not, I'm like, it's kind yeah. of no one's business. They can't make me feel better or not. But like, yeah. just because I'm talking to you and just we're on the theme, right? The last two months, BPD has been kicking my fucking ass. Like I, mm. I've been upset and like confused and unmotivated and I not able to quite get to do the things that I know I have to be doing. So like the truth, like sometimes just, it just bulldozes you, right? The, I think the mm. difference is um, what has happened since therapy and since kind of growing and growing my spirituality and stuff like that these days is like when I'm going through that and I see it happening, um, like you said earlier, like, you know, when you like uh, you zoom out of yourself and you go like, it's happening again. And it's like, yeah. like and that happens all the time. Yeah. And when it does though, it's always just like, I know that I can come back from this and I will, yes. right. If I lose a week and I'm, this is a p- position of privilege at this point with this like free flowing job where it's like, yeah. I can really, I can afford to like lose a week to my mental health and then just slowly get moving again and do things. Mm-hmm. But, but Hey, I mean, um, waking up and music first thing, a glass of ice water, yoga mat out and start moving your body. If I can get there, um, before noon every day, then yeah. I can pretty much survive, you know? And I did it today, even though the rest of the day I proceeded to kind of crumple under just a little anxiety and like nothingness and just feeling like I was this little humming orb I mean, hell, like I, I still, I, I still managed that first part and I wrote a couple pages and I, uh, I, I, I called someone I cared about and it's like, just as much as you can do, you know what I mean? Yes. Every day and it, just do as much as you can do every day. And as long as you do that, then, you know, the days you can't, you won't. And the days you can, you're going to succeed. Yeah. That's really beautiful. You know, the things that you're saying of like, if you have these three things that are like your morning thing, like for me saying morning routine has been big. Like I tried to meditate. I had a really hard time meditating, but if I can meditate for even five minutes, wake up, same thing, have my water, do my walk. Like if I can accomplish those three things, it's very similar. And then I feel like I can at least get going in my day. But it's like, if I, if I sit in bed and like, don't do those things, it's like, I can almost guarantee myself that I'm going to have like an even worse spiral. Um, One skill that someone told me in group one time, it was uh, for coping with like a negative emotion or feeling sad or whatever. But like, I was just surprised to see one of them was do something for someone else. Like Mm -hmm. that was one of the skills to get yourself out. And I found that to be really potent for myself as well. So when I can't manage to do anything good for myself, um, sometimes I'll just kind of like, like, fuck my work, like, fuck my music, fuck me. You know what I mean? Fuck me feeling good. It's like, can I be yeah. of service to somebody else just today? You know what I mean? And that is, it, it's startling how effective and how, um, spiritually important it seems to be for human beings to be able to serve. And how, like, when you're looking at yourself and you're feeling empty, that sometimes you can fill yourself up just by getting back into like, not consuming, but giving. Yes my BPD symptoms started to impact my life so much less the moment I started my Instagram and my podcast, because like just seeing that me giving value back to others, it's like, I, I now feel like I've got people counting on me, you know? And like, I've got, I want to show up every week and I want to. And so I couldn't agree with you more that that's a really powerful way to help yourself is helping others. Ironically, you also have a, you're um, cultivating creativity. You're building mastery. Isn't that the skill? Um, Like, so you, you have something that you're creating like of your own volition that isn't, you're just showing up and just getting by, you know what I mean? And that's, you taking control over your own life and and it's an active service. It's like moving up the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly getting those basic needs met and then also building on that where it's like exactly like you're building something. There's like a sense of reciprocity there. It's very important to feel like they're when we are shitty in our BPD selves, it's like, what's the point? It's like, get yourself a point. <laughs> yeah. 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 And Hey, right? I'm proud of you for that, Molly. 
Oh, well, I appreciate that. And I'm proud of you right back because like, look what you're doing too. Like the thing is, I think you and I are a really good example of like, we're doing such different things. Like what we do looks so different, but the principle is the same. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we're talking about completely different lives and different life experiences. And we're just like, if you just take out like the data and look at the shells of all this, it's like, that's the the exact same damn thing. (laughs) It's yeah. Which is like, again, like very Jungian, but it's, you know, it's like this collective experience. We're all just don't going through this same collective thing, you know? Absolutely. I just am so grateful for you coming on. It's been really so good to just sit and chill and talk with you and thank you for opening up because I want to validate that. Like, I know this is a totally different format for you. This is like more of like very vulnerable for you. I would imagine. What has this experience been like for you? (laughs) Well, I, you know, YouTube isn't my format either. That's brand new for me as of a year ago, but I've always been pretty good at talking. You just happen to be killing it. (laughs) And I like being on stage. No, I mean, I'm, I was fortunate enough for, to have kind of discovered accidentally that uh, YouTube, this part of YouTube, just it, it taps into skills I've picked up over the past like few years. That So I happen to be suited for it. And I happen to be blessed yeah. with having something I care about that people want to hear right now, that I have a face that people want to look at for whatever reason, you know? <laughs> Um, and I'm just, but I'm, I'm pretty good at, you know, talking to stuff like that. So I've been trying to, I've done, this is my third podcast I ever recorded. The first two were with my friends though. You know what I mean? People okay. that I knew beforehand. This is the first time just hopping on, talking to someone. Um, but I wanted to, because I just saw what you were doing, like in your email, like, first of all, it was just a good pitch. Like, <laughs> thank so, you. I was like, the best way to get someone on a podcast is talk about their, their own music. They're it's like, true. Okay. We'll talk about, well, it's like, you knew what. I did. You explained what you did. You're like, this will be good. And I was like, you know, probably will. And also I think like what you're doing is important, like for other people with BPD. And it is also important for people to hear people with BPD that um, I don't want this to sound bad because it's not like it's a negative thing, but maybe just for yeah. dialectic sake, right. It's, it's important for people to see people with BPD that are functioning that yeah. are okay. And able to like accomplish something and cultivate something, you know what yes. I mean? And able to discuss these things without it being a strictly like trauma divulsion, right? Not that that's yes. bad, but um, I, I it makes me happy that you're out here doing this kind of thing and that I can be out here. Your listeners can, you know what I mean? Anyone that isn't just, you know, Pete Davidson and that's it, you know? The beauty of it is too, is that you are um, in my mind, I'm hoping for my listeners, what they can take from you is so many things, but one of which being you have created your own path. Like you are now employing yourself from like sharing your big feelings and like doing what you love to do, which is like trying to educate people and educate yourself and heal yourself through the, throughout the way doing music. It's like, you're taking all of your, the, the, you, what makes you, you, maybe some of these are some BPD traits mixed in just as mine are, and you are making your own path with it. You're not wrong either about the traits of, um, the it, your BPD self, like how you like know that in yourself, like there's a place for that in your life. Yes. There's an, there's another dialectic. You can construct like the functionality of your life, and you can keep all of your emotions and like yes. you know, and just find spots for it all. You know, um, there's a place for all of those things. You yeah. just have to find like what are where does where does CJ challenge uh, channel his huge emotions? Is it into yeah, like exactly right t- blowing up his relationships or like me same blowing up my exactly. relationships? Or like, can you I, channel it into a video and make it yeah. fucking amazing? For me, it's that my relationships are no longer the place for uh, my. Uh, anxiety and my fear and my lashing yes. out and my body is no longer the place for like my violence and my aggression and my determination yes. you know what I mean it's like it's I, the, beautiful you found I, a I channel I appreciate that especially well for me it's like the YouTube is you know it's good but for me it's actually the music more than anything else is that's where I truly go like unfiltered and because it's all I can highly explicit and rage filled and monstrous <laughs> like it's a really it's a beautiful thing to be able to transmute that and the fact that you found like it's like you found all your outlets like you can get your hardcore geek on <laughs> not yet there's <laughs> not more yet. I have a lot more to do I, I mean I have no doubt about that my albums are the part that are really important to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. The YouTube channel is kind of an incidental manifestation, very grateful for, happy that it's doing things. Yes. But the albums actually come out of my heart, which I'm sure yeah. is going to lead you to the next question. What's next for CJ the X? Um, just keep your eyes wide open. There'll be uh, more video essays. There's going to be a music, uh, an album this year. 
as well. Oh, um, shoot. Okay. So I guess those are the things to look forward for. And then everything else. I just want to do everything in every medium. And this is, I'm just really grateful that one thing caught at this point. And yes. now I can just keep moving to the next and the next. But next year, it's just more essays than an album. Hell yeah. I mean, well, I mean, now you clearly have a group of people that just like care about what you're doing and what a beautiful, you know, we do live in a really fucked up and crazy society, but we also do live in a society where it's society, a society. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We, we live in a society. Yeah. Right. It's it's a society. Um, But we do live in a society where it's pretty amazing that you can do what you do. And and same thing, I'm currently trying to build on Patreon myself as well, where it's like, I can create a reality where there's just people that want to hear from me and I can kind of do that in whatever way feels comfy, which is yeah. cool. Yeah, it's, it's a, a time of bountiful opportunity. Well, thank you so much, CJ. And I just hey, thank I you. can't thank you enough for making yourself available for the listeners. And I know they're going to get so much from our conversation. Yeah, it's nice to meet you, Molly. Thanks for having me on. All right, you messy, amazing, emotional, fabulous human beings doing this life thing. That is it for today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening because out of all the millions, billions of podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine. And that means a lot to me. And if you listen this far, I know you never want to miss a new episode. So to make sure that doesn't happen, click follow in your podcast player of choice and you will be alerted every time I drop a new one. To help me grow and help the podcast reach as many people as possible, go ahead and leave an honest rating and review. Not only that, I love to hear your feedback, so please share it with me. I read every single review and you just might hear it read out loud on the podcast. To connect with me directly, follow me on social media and keep up with all the new updates. You can find that all at backfromtheborderline.com. And as always, any articles, resources, or other helpful information you've heard today can be found in the description of this podcast episode. So don't forget to check out the show notes. And until we meet again, remember, life is a circle, a cycle, a process, separation, initiation, return. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon book list recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.